Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Uh, let me just read the text to you because I actually want to start with verse 25 first. So let me read, read that text to you. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woe, I, I, I did a typo, said to him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. Uh, Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for this weather uh, as we read this text, just giving us a better picture in our mind of what it may have been like or closer to what it may have been like. And we ask God for your Holy Spirit to be here with us, to fill us with the things that you want us to learn not just for knowledge's sake, but how to go about implementing it in our lives and and having it be a part of who we are, part of our character. I pray, Lord, for a blessing on everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump to verse 25. That's where I'd like to start today. The disciples ask, Who then is this? And the reason... I, I kind of jump to this is because I kind of find it a, an odd question for these disciples to ask because they've been following Jesus for a while now and, and they've seen some pretty incredible things that, that Jesus has been doing. So, and they've been witnesses to what Jesus has been teaching. And so now to ask this question, eight chapters into our text in the Gospel of Luke, it just seems kind of strange to me. I don't know about you, but for me, it seems strange. Because think of this for just a little minute, moment here. These guys knew who Jesus was and claimed to be. Because way back when, in, in, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 29, his own cousin, John the Baptist, announced to everyone who Jesus was. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now some, if not all of these disciples here, they must have known who John was probably personally, right? Jesus' own cousin, and his own cousin declared this. And then some, if not all of those 12 disciples, saw Jesus cast out demons, cure Peter's mother-in-law of illness, cure people of their sicknesses and diseases in chapter 4. And then you go into chapter 5, and they saw him multiply fish. They saw him heal a leper. They saw him heal a paralytic. And then you go into chapter 6, and he healed a man with a withered hand. Now, not all, maybe some of them, maybe some of those disciples, or maybe all of the disciples may have seen all this stuff happening from chapters 4 through 6. But starting in verse 13 of chapter 6, all of them, all 12 of them, were there. And they saw everything from that point forward. Right, And, And so, at the very least... They would have heard of the miracles Jesus did before chapter 6, verse 13. And maybe they weren't eyewitnesses themselves, but they would have heard those stories. But then after chapter 6, verse 13, all of them witnessed this stuff firsthand. So in chapter 6, they saw that all of those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And then you go into chapter 7, Jesus healed the centurion's dying servant. He raised from the dead this boy whose mom was a widow in Nain. And so they were eyewitnesses to these miracles and they were there. They saw it. They experienced it. These were first-hand encounters with Jesus. So then this question. Who then is this that He commands even winds and water and they obey Him? It's strange to me. Because He's the same guy that they've seen do all this other stuff. It's the same guy. right? The same guy who cured all those who are troubled with unclean spirits. From chapter 6, verse 13 on. Same guy. The same guy who, who healed that centurion's uh, dying servant with a word. He just spoke it. He didn't even have to appear there or touch that person. It just happened with his word. And he's the same Jesus who raised the, from the dead that widow's son in name. 
the same guy. He's the same Jesus. He's the same God. So it's kind of strange to me. And maybe the disciples were just a, a little bit confused in their understanding. And they knew that Jesus was powerful enough to heal people physically because, because they did witness that firsthand and, and they didn't freak out about that. They just kind of went along with the flow. He even had the power over nature to some extent in that he, he made it so to catch this huge amount of fish when they weren't catching anything. So they, they just kind of did that. It just mentions nothing about being afraid. And they understood the physical healing of people and it wasn't difficult to connect Jesus to that sort of miracle. They, they were okay with that. But to connect Jesus to controlling the weather, well, that's something only God can do. Which I think is part of the point. It's like, exactly. Exactly. And I think these guys were starting to get a clearer picture that Jesus is more God than they ever thought. That He's more God than they even realized. Now let me read to you some excerpts from Psalm chapter 107. I'm breaking into three chunks, these three excerpts. The first one is verses 13 and 14. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. The second excerpt from Psalm chapter 107, verses 19 and 20. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Any of this sound familiar with the Gospel of Luke? What's going on? Now those last two excerpts from Psalm chapter 107, they are really fascinating to me given the text that we're talking about this morning. But this next excerpt I'm going to read to you, I find this even more fascinating. This is from verses 23 through 30 in Psalm chapter 107. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired heaven. Now keep that psalm in mind as we go through our text in Luke this morning. And let's head back to our text in Luke. Luke chapter 8, verse 25. He commands even the wind and water, and they will obey Him. That was their question. And I think they're starting to see how God Jesus really is. And just like for some of us who have been experiencing God for some time now, and for some of us who have been seeing how God Jesus is in the Gospel of Luke, we're, we're starting to get a better understanding of how God Jesus is. And there are some of us here who have come with some amount of unbelief. And, and with that unbelief, we may have this mixed in there, some ideas and, and some beliefs. And some of you may believe in Jesus as a physical man, but as far as who He really is and what He's really about and why He came is up for debate for you. That you're still trying to figure that out. And some of you may still need some convincing that it's necessary to have a relationship with Him, that it's necessary to know Him intimately. But as we have been going through this orderly account provided to us by Luke, something has been happening inside of you, I hope. That through the preaching and teaching that has been happening here, and hopefully your own careful investigation, you have these thoughts and you have these feelings and these things happening inside of you. And then we personally come to this question that is this. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? And I actually find this question kind of a relief to me. I don't know if it does this for you, but, but that the disciples can ask this question even after being eyewitnesses to Jesus. That we don't have to feel bad for ourselves when we have these questions. These, these questions of ourselves about God. Because if these guys that were on the boat with him physically and saw all this stuff can have questions, it's okay. 
it's okay for us to say, I don't know, or, you know, it's, it's okay. And you don't have to wonder if you're a poor disciple of Jesus. Like, and you don't have to beat yourself up, because we probably all are in a place like this. And it's only by the grace of God that we are a disciple at all. So even if you've been a Christian for a while, it's good to stop and question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What does it really mean to hear Him? What does it really mean to know Him? And it's not a bad question to ask ourselves every once in a while. Who is Jesus? And what I hope we'll discover from our text today is what it means to trust Jesus. What it means to trust Jesus. And we've been investigating this theme of hearing from Jesus for the past few weeks, and, and we know it's important that we take care how we hear, right? Luke chapter 8, verse 18. And we know that it's not just what we hear, and it's not that we, that we hear, but it's also how we hear. And when we go back to Scripture, to lessons like Luke chapter 6, verses 47 and 49, let me read that. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And then you go into a scripture like Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15, where it reads, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and and when the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, in light of these two stories that we just read in Luke, how do you think the disciples fared in this storm? Right? They knew Luke chapter 6, that, that when a flood comes, that you have to have a foundation built on a rock. They knew that they had to come to Jesus, hear His words, and do them. They knew from an earlier story of the parable of the soils in chapter 8, that as good soil, as those who hear the word of God, as they hold fast and honest they hold fast with a good and honest heart and they bear fruit with patience. In light of those two stories, how do you think the disciples did? I mean, do you think that they passed the test with this storm incident? And in light of Jesus' teachings, were the disciples trusting of Jesus? So how do you think they did in this test? So in application to ourselves, do we trust God? Do we trust God? And before we get too hard on the disciples for not acing this test with flying colors, let's ask ourselves, if we really even know what it means to trust God, do we really know what that means? And some of us may think that the disciples, man, they're just really dumb. They're just really slow. They, they, for not understanding Jesus, I mean, He's right there. But let's not judge them so quickly. Let's not judge them so quickly because how many times have we failed to trust Jesus even though we know Jesus and we've heard Jesus' teachings? How many of us have done that? And how many of us have thought about this? How many of us have been disciples of Jesus longer than these guys when they were in the boat? Because they weren't there, they weren't following him very long, right? I mean, let's even be generous and say that these guys have been following Jesus for Less than three years, but more than two. Let's be generous. How about some of us? I I think a lot of us have been following Jesus for more than three years. 
So to be hard on them and say, I can't believe they failed that test. Some of us have been followers of Jesus for decades. How would you fare in a test like this? And yet these guys have been, at most, more than two years, less than three. At most. Right? So, it can't be that hard. Verse 22, One day he got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now Jesus really likes to use his surroundings as teaching backdrops and he really likes using the Sea of Galilee. He likes using the surrounding areas. And many of the gospel teachings are set in this Galilean region. So here we have this everyday event like like going into our cars as a mode of transportation. It's just like this, right? Going into the boat across the lake. So why did the disciples cross the lake? To get to the other side. That's why they did it. And if we look at the gospel accounts from Matthew and Mark, they built into the stories, if you read their gospel accounts, that Jesus had this work-filled day, that Jesus was busy. And Matthew 8 is where this story can be found, and and, and this picture that's painted in Matthew is this one of, of busyness before Jesus gets into that boat. And then if you go into Mark's account, which is found in chapter 4 of Mark, Mark points out that he's leaving the crowd. Right, that he's getting into the boat. So a scene that he's been working really hard. Something interesting about Luke's account is that he just writes, one day he got into the boat with his disciples. One day. He doesn't really go into this account of, of looking at Jesus coming off this really hard day's work where Jesus, Jesus worked. Jesus served a lot of people. But based off of Matthew's account and based off of Mark's account, we can see that Jesus was working really hard in ministry. And as evidence in verse 23, Jesus was in need of some much-deserved rest. Because in verse 23, the first of it, it says, And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus was tired. He was pooped. He was working really hard in ministry. And Luke's account gives us that he was telling us that he zonked out when they, when they started sailing. And Matthew and Mark, they helped confirm this, uh, that Jesus was being tired or was tired by, by giving us this picture of how much ministry he was doing before he got into that boat. Now, granted, Jesus had this appointment across the lake in Gennesaret with this demon-possessed man, which we'll get to another time. But I think he needed some much-deserved rest. And one way to get it was to hop on this boat and to get away from everyone. You could get some rest. Now for those of you who travel a lot for work or, you, or when you go on vacation after you work really hard, you know how this is, don't you? Because right before you go on vacation, you work hard so that when you come back, you don't have as much stuff. So you, so you work harder than like any time ever before your vacation so that your vacation it's like really nice so a couple of weeks ago I went to this week long conference it was not a vacation but I was going to be gone for a week and so what do I do I'm in work mode I squeeze every drop of energy out of me and time and resources before I leave so that before I leave I know that upon my return I have my schedule all mapped out already I have two speaking engagements each of the following weeks following, so more than I, I usually do. So I have to start studying for those speaking engagements before I leave, because if I wait, I'm toast. So I'm, so I'm doing all this, and then I have a bunch of meetings. When I come back, I have a ton of meetings. And so my calendar is already booked before I leave for when I return. So, the, the, so what did I do? The week before I left, I worked my tail off. I crammed that week before I left for this conference. And so I'm, I'm a zombie that week. I'm so tired. And I worked really hard before getting on that plane. And even while at the airport, I'm working. I plug in my laptop. I'm on that counter there at Southwest. And I'm working away and on stuff and doing emails and, and checking in on things and all this kind of stuff. And I, re- I work really hard at the airport. And then even when I get on the plane, I'm still working. I'm on my laptop and I'm on my phone and all this stuff. Until when? Take off. Take off. When they make you turn off all electronic devices. 
safely store everything underneath the seat beneath you or in the bins above you. And I tell you, those are some of the most relieving words ever. For me. That, that's the best ever. After going, going at this high clip, right? Just going, going, going. And, and just to hear, please turn off all cellular devices and electronic devices and stow all personal items in the seat in front of you or in above bin. That's music to my ears. I was just like, praise the Lord. Oh, rest. And as soon as I put my phone on airplane mode and I put my laptop away, I was out. I was, I was out. I slept so well. I didn't even have to recline my seat. I slept with it up. And, and then it didn't even matter if there were loud people around me. It didn't matter if there was turbulence because I didn't even know if there was or not. And if, if, and. I think they usually come and ask you if you want like peanuts or drinks. Or, I didn't hear that. I, when, I didn't hear that. If it was a rough landing, I have no idea. And it didn't matter because I was tired. Verse 23, And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus fell asleep during takeoff. He was tired. He put away his iPhone, he put away his iPad, put away his IIIs. He went to sleep. Jesus went nai-nai. Right? And so can you imagine this? These guys are, are getting ready to take off from the shore. They, they pull in their anchor. They push the boat out. They collect everything that they needed from the boat. They, they ready the ship. They're, they're getting ready to head off. Peter announces, turn off all electronic devices. And put your seats in the upright positions and put your tray tables up and fasten your seatbelt. And then Judas says, I will turn off the seatbelt signs when, when we are in calm waters. And then as they sail, Jesus fell asleep. And I think this is one of my favorite clips in the Bible. He fell asleep. That's, I love sleep. I really do. I love sleep. I know some of you do too. And I want more of it. I want more of it. I really do. And sleep is just this wonderful thing. And to read that Jesus is asleep here is so reassuring for a recovering workaholic like myself. It's so great. See, Jesus was never hurried. Do you ever see Jesus run to a ministry appointment? Did you ever see that? Do you ever see Jesus like anxious to get somewhere or do something? Or I mean, he's going to the lake of Gennesaret, but what does he do? Nine-nine. I'm going to go across the lake sleep. Jesus has never heard. He's so cool. For me, I'm like, oh, get me there. Ah, rent the car and all this, blah, blah, blah. all this kind of stuff. It's like, get in the boat. And so this, this is painting this beautiful picture of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And, and this is right before Luke paints this beautiful picture, a powerful picture, of Jesus' divinity in calming the storm. But right before that, he paints this beautiful picture of humanity. Verses 22 and 23. One day he got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. So here's just this everyday occurrence. There's nothing really special about this. Verse 23. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. I find that very special. And as a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now that term windstorm, it's, it's giving us this picture of this violent attack of, of wind. To paint for us this picture of, of a whirlwind, of a tempestuous wind, this squall, right? So you imagine... You imagine a storm that is breaking back and forth and, and black thunder clouds with, with a furious gust coming through with this pouring rain. It's just flooding down rain and it's throwing everything topsy-turvy. That's the picture here. Now some people might think, oh, come on, it's just a lake. It's a sea of Galilee. It's a lake. How, how can a lake manufacture a storm like that? I mean, that's just made up. I can reassure you that this is not made up. Because the weather conditions at the Sea of Galilee, they can change in an instant, really fast. And just like experience 
experiencing a turbulence on a, on a clear day, but the captain gets on there and says, like, oh, fasten your seatbelt, and you look out, and you're like, oh, it's clear. What's going on? It's not a big deal. But then you go through some crazy turbulence. It's kind of like that here. Right? And, and this is some, some pretty gnarly turbulence that the, that the disciples are going to experience here. And this is something that I got to experience firsthand on the Sea of Galilee. See, I was out in the Sea of Galilee with some friends nine years ago. And we swam out about a quarter mile to this uh, pontoon that the kibbutz that we were staying in put out there. Just, just to put out there. And so we were hanging out there and we're sunbathing and we're just diving off of this pontoon and just having a lot of fun and looking at the fish under the water. And then suddenly, this crazy wind just blows through. It is, it is crazy. And then these waves start lapping over into the pontoon. And we're just rocking back and forth. And it's just going, and my hair is blowing all over, and I, and I have to get flat on the pontoon so that I don't get knocked over, and I'm like flat on this thing. And, and so this is one of the times of my life that I thought I was going to die. Really. I was like, I'm so dead. And it's so weird to me because at the times that I think I was going to die, most of the time it involves water. I don't know why. That's just what it is, whether it's like water sports, whatever. Whenever I felt like I was going to die, it usually involves water. Maybe I should stay away from water. So... So here, here are Jesus' disciples, some who are very familiar with this lake. Some who are very familiar with how conditions can change really fast on this lake. Conditions that sometimes are really rough. Why is that? It's scientific, really. It's not that suddenly, oh, God did this. The Sea of Galilee is 686 feet below sea level. And so, being that low below sea level, it is much warmer than the high mountains that surround it, because there's some really high elevations around it in these mountainous regions. So this lake has a circumference of 33 miles, it's 13 miles long, it's 8 miles wide, so it's a pretty good-sized lake, but it's 686 feet below sea level. And so, surrounding this lake, as I said, are these mountain ranges and these tablelands. But then there's all these rivers and streams feeding into the Sea of Galilee. So what that's created is, are, are these funnels. Wherever the rivers and the streams have kind of cut into the mountains and things, it's created these funnels. And so, these funnels draw the cold air from the elevations that are higher into this warmer climate that is 686 feet below sea level. And so it, this cold air meets with the much warmer air and poof, crazy storms. Really crazy. And so that's the basic science behind it. But this storm seems to be different because the disciples, some of whom are very experienced fishermen, they know storms in the Galilee. They've, they've experienced these things. They're not new occurrences. But this one freaked them out. Something more about this one. And so what began as just an everyday event to get to the other side ends with this cry for help. And what was thought to be just this normal occurrence, like, oh, jump in the car, let's get over there, let's, let's get around, and, and we can also give Jesus some rest. He's tired. This is a way to get away from the crowd. And what was thought to be this normal occurrence, and even if things got bad, we have people who can handle it. Because we got, we got the fishermen here, we got the sons of Zebedee, we got Peter, we got guys that are professional on this. So even if it gets a little choppy out here in these waters, we'll, we'll be okay. It's not a big deal. Let's go. But it ends in a plea for help. Verse 24, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Now you notice that Luke said, they went. More than just a couple of guys were worried here. right? They, plural, that they, they were worried that they were going to die, so a group of them went. Yet where do we find Jesus? He's asleep. He's asleep until these guys wake him up. And I don't think Jesus was messing with them and he thought he'd be funny and he really was awake and he was the one eye. He's like, check this guy. God, God they're going to freak out. This is awesome. He was really asleep. Right? So he was tired and these guys woke him up and just a nice restful nap for Jesus. But what about the disciples? 
It was a time of desperation for them. And more than one guy went to him to make sure that they could get Jesus' attention on this matter. Jesus, we're, we're, we're going to die. And what's interesting about this is that these guys aren't ill-equipped guys. These guys know these waters. This is not a foreign place to them. There are a handful of these guys who work this water for a living. They know this place. And so they were, there were professional fishermen on that boat who knew how to deal with issues like this. But even then, they came to a point where that wasn't enough. Where this was bigger than them. And they came to a point where they knew that they were no longer in control, even though this was their field of expertise. And there are, there are some things that are beyond our control. No matter how good or experienced we are in dealing with difficult circumstances, what we think is just normal, and how we start out, sometimes we find ourselves in a storm, even though we're really familiar with different things. And when a time like this comes to the, the disciples, where did they find Jesus? Asleep. Asleep. And when reading Matthew's account of this, Matthew records the disciples calling to Jesus as Lord. So acknowledging Jesus' power as Lord. Mark's gospel records it as calling him teacher, meaning teacher. In Luke's account, the disciples call him master. So, overseer. And I have no doubt that they were calling him everything they could even think of, right? Lord, teacher, master, Easter bunny, Santa Claus, whatever. It's like Superman. They just wanted to get his attention and wake up. They, don't, they were just calling out to him. Right? So, so, by the way, if you believe in Easter bunny or, or Santa Claus, I'm going to burst your bubble and tell you they don't exist. And if you're a kid in here and I just burst your bubble, I'm sorry for doing that. But talk to your parents as to why they lied to you. (laughs) Superman, on the other hand, is real. It's just that he's Asian. And he still wears glasses. um, How do you view the disciples here? How do you... As epic failures, fail the test. Maybe you're thinking that, man, they should have known, known better. Again, not so fast, right? Because what would you have done? Or, or what would you have done when a storm in your life has swept you, caught you off guard, even though initially you found yourself kind of going off in familiar territory? But you were caught. And I know there are times when, when I haven't done well on these pop quizzes that the Lord has given me. Right? I'm just kind of going along my way, even as a parent, like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And I do something as a parent that I regret. I, I snap at my kids, or I do something like these little storms that come into my life where I thought I was just kind of going on my merry way and storm. And then given what the Lord has taught me in the past, I still didn't test very well. I still didn't do well. Now, now the pop quiz the disciples received here is more like a pop final, and that, and for the most part, that they were really familiar and they were comfortable with the Sea of Galilee, and this had to be something much more fierce than they were accustomed to, a, a lot more to throw them off like this. And this wasn't like any storm that they faced before. And so, so far, we have this everyday event like crossing the lake. We have this storm of storm that freaks them out, freaks out these experienced people of the sea. And then we have Jesus who calms this crazy storm. And something about how Jesus calmed this storm is really fascinating to me. Read with me the last part of verse 24 again. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Do do you notice the detail here that is so fascinating? Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was a calm. Now, if you're familiar with sailing, or if you're familiar with how storms work in bodies of water, you probably see 
what's so fascinating about this. When I was on that pontoon at, on the Sea of Galilee, when that storm first hit, the first thing that's, that subsided after I prayed to the Lord, teacher, master, superman, was to save me. God, I don't want to die. There's no way I can swim back there now. I'm just going to hang on to this for dear life. But, you know, I, I'm not. I'm scared. What stopped first? The wind. The wind stopped first. But even when the wind wasn't blowing anymore, the water in that lake was still really choppy. I was still really rocking. I was still on that pontoon. I was still holding on, even though the wind stopped. And the pontoon was rocking quite a bit because I was still laying flat. It was a while later, I didn't time it, but it was a, a while later that the lake got completely calm again. It was like this for a long while. There is a lag between what happens above water, that wind, and what happens below water, that choppiness. Verse 24. Jesus rebuked the wind and raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. It wasn't that the wind stopped first, and then the raging waves. They both ceased, otherwise there wouldn't be a calm. They'd still be rocking and rolling and stuff like this. There wouldn't be a calm, but there was a calm. Wind and waves ceased, and there was a calm. Jesus' power is awesome. Do you see that? It wasn't one after another. Calm. That's nuts to me. Another fascinating thing that Jesus did was he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. He rebuked, meaning... That he talked to the winds and waves. He spoke to the winds and waves. I don't know if that's freaky to you. To me, that's pretty freaky. The dude gets up on the boat, right? Saw some other, just talking, to the norm, talking normal as if like, uh, hey, calm down, wind. I mean, I'd be like, dude's talking to the wind. Freaky dude. And, and I guess around here, maybe you guys don't think it's that freaky because it's Oakland or Berkeley or whatever. So, yeah, that's normal. It's not freaky. People talking to the wind all the time. I've heard some of you, so I guess it's not that freaky. But reading Jesus do, it's kind of freaky to me. But he's, he's speaking to those things that don't have ears to hear. Right? He, he's, why does Jesus rebuke the wind and the waves if they can't even hear what he's saying? Why does Jesus speak to that which cannot hear? And I think it's because it's to help the disciples on the boat. And it's also to help us reading this. To help us recognize the sovereignty over everything that God has, including wind and waves. That He's sovereign. And since the beginning, God spoke, and it was so, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And here Jesus tells the wind and the waves, chill out. Calm. Not process by process and how the things, they listened. But, okay, chore choreograph this. Wind first, waves next. No, Jesus says calm. Calm. That's he's sovereign. In verse 25, He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even wind and water and they obey him? Two questions in this verse. One from Jesus to the disciples. The next one, disciples to disciples. Let's, uh, let's start out um, with the one we started the sermon with. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and obey him? Let's start with the second question first. And I opened up with this strange question that was strange to me regarding Jesus, especially because these guys are eyewitnesses to all the miracles that Jesus has done so far. And I think out of the twelve disciples, one or more of them would have known the scriptures well enough to know Psalm chapter 89, verses 8 and 9, and this is what it reads. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, 
You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And here we have Jesus showing his authority over the raging sea and, and stilling it, calming it. Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? God. God. And perhaps this was helping the disciples solidify their understanding that Jesus was indeed God. And they were gaining this deeper understanding that Jesus was indeed God. And the power attributed only to God is in the power of Jesus who's exercising it here. And so, you know, sometimes we think we're so smart when we make these scientific discoveries, right? Oh, high elevations down into this low sea level. That's why wind blows and oh, big storms and all this kind of stuff. And we, get, we think we're so smart that we, we've, we've, we've found these things out. We've discovered these things. When God all along created it, you know, we're discovering things that He created. And do you notice something in, um, funny in verse 25? This is funny to me. And they were afraid and they marveled. That's funny to me. Because they were in the storm, in the middle of the storm, and, and it doesn't flat out say that they were afraid. I, I think that they were afraid, but it doesn't flat out say that they were afraid. But I can imagine that they were, because they were going to die. But here in verse 25, it flat out says, they were afraid. So you're in the middle of the storm, and it doesn't flat out say you're afraid, right? And, and they're like, oh Jesus, help us, help us, help us. Storm calmed. And storm stops. And they're like, get us off this boat. That guy's scary. That storm and stuff, yes, scary, but not that the author even has to say it. But when Jesus calms the storm, Luke makes sure to write, afraid. They are afraid, really. So who is Jesus? Is he just another religious leader? No, this is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the Creator who has authority over all of His creation. Now lastly, let's unpack Jesus' question to His disciples where He says, where's your faith? Now this is a very appropriate question for Jesus to ask, isn't it? After all this stuff, after all they've witnessed, these guys were all there to witness the people get healed and the centurion servants healing, the boy at Nain raised from the dead, and, and they still struggle with their faith. Some, if not all, witnessed the miraculous events Jesus did prior to chapter 6, verse 13. So Jesus' question to them is a totally legitimate question, isn't it? You've seen all this stuff. Where's your faith? And so this question... Turn it to ourselves. Where's your faith? Is our faith in another worldview? Is our faith in people? Is our faith in communities? Is our faith in material things? Where is your faith? King Solomon had everything imaginable. And he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Is life just passing us by? Things just happening and passing us by? And sometimes difficult times, sometimes crying babies, sometimes dangerous storms are approaching. But it's exactly what's needed to jar us out of complacency. Pay attention right now. It's jarring you out of complacency. Don't listen to that storm. To make us face this question, where is your faith? Where is your faith? To show us that anything less than Jesus Christ, that's inadequate. Where is your faith? And as a church, where is our faith? And I invite you folks who haven't made Regen your home yet to jump in and make this your home. I throw that invitation out to you. If you need an Evite, I'll, I'll write one to you. But I'll throw that in. To be part of our faith community and tackle this question, where is your faith? 
Right? And as a church, this is important for us to explore together so that, so that we as a church together, we can be light to a really dark place. Right? A place that gets thrown around in the storms of life, yet we are there. We are present to help each other, to support each other, to encourage each other in our faith. Now, individually and personally, let's make it to you. You, individually, personally. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? In the storms of life, where is your faith? In the hurts, in the pains, in the heartaches, in the disappointments, in the sufferings, in the losses, where is your faith? And do you find that Jesus does appear in the heart of that storm? And do you have faith that Jesus can bring calm to the most stormy of circumstances? And some of us are facing some pretty turbulent storms right now. Right? And I, I want you to deal with it in community. I want to encourage that. That you deal with it in community and not in isolation. Right? The, the disciples were on that boat that had Jesus in the boat and they had each other. It wasn't just Jesus. The community was involved in this process. When people ask how you're doing and you're not really doing well, but you just say, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, or whatever, so that you don't have to explain yourself that everything that's really going on in your life, because you, you, just, you just can't. Right? Those people, they don't know you. Like how they, Do they have three hours to hear what you say? So you just say fine or good and all that. But aren't you tired of that? Fine, I'm I'm fine. I'm good. When you're really not. When you're really not. And it's really important to identify some safe people in your life that you can go through storms with. You don't want to make yourself vulnerable to just anyone. You don't want to do that. I know there are some people like, oh, I'm an open book. I just open myself up to anyone and I'm vulnerable. But not everyone is capable of handling the, the information that you're giving them. Some people have a problem with gossip. Some people have a problem with keeping things confidential. Some people have a problem not listening. They just want to talk all the time when you need someone to listen. So those aren't people you want to share your storms with. with. They, they might knock you off the boat instead of keeping you in the boat with Jesus. Right, bump you off. Running together toward him, waking them up. They ran towards him. It was a community effort. It wasn't an isolated thing. It wasn't some guy just saying, just me and Jesus alone, that's all I need. That's bogus. Life is too difficult with the stresses that we have in our life. Lack of relationships or poor relationships with, with uh, your spouse or your children or parents or friends or your coworkers, whatever. Things that are just not happening at work or school, uh, financial strains, health concerns. There are just too many things for me to name up here right now. But the many things that we think we have control over and that we have a handle on, we're just sailing off the boat. It's a daily occurrence. It's not a big deal. The familiar things, yet a storm enters where we were once familiar with and we find ourselves in a bigger storm than we can actually handle. Even though you were just going off to work. And it's in the storms that we can answer Jesus' question. Where is your faith? The storms are needed. The storms are needed to ask us, where is our faith? And just get a check. A little checkup for ourselves. And as we venture into this normal sea of life, remember not to forget Jesus in your boat. Because out in the middle of that stormy sea, there's a likelihood that out there, it's going to get bigger and stormier than you can handle yourself. And in, in our life journey, in your life journey, don't forget to bring with you a community that can listen to you. That, that can intercede with you. And yes, we need Jesus. That's obvious. We also need each other as a community of faith. You cannot do it alone. Jesus made us for one another. We were made to be in community, right? It says, love God and love one another, the greatest commandments. To travel the spiritual journey together. And for those folks, you know, like, 
Some of you are out here. You like to be isolated. You like to handle things yourself. You like to come over, overcome your sins by yourself and then report of the victory saying, oh, Jesus delivered me from this thing. But how long have you been doing that? Has it worked for you? I know guys that have been trying to overcome pornography for over 10 years. And they will not deal with it in community because they're too ashamed or they're too guilt-ridden or they're too whatever. But they've been dealing with it over 10 years hoping that they can say, oh, God delivered me from this. Maybe God wants you to deal with that in community. To confess your sins to one another, as James has said. Not to do it by yourself. And there are other issues out there that are not meant for you to deal with it yourself. Especially when it comes to addictions. To believe that Jesus is all I need. That's all I need. To say it so flippantly when God Himself created a triune God, a God that is in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He didn't just be Himself. He created Him. It's created to be in community. He didn't create that. It was always been. That's heresy. And you can email me about heresy later but I just corrected myself and it's in there he was not created but isn't isn't that how the trinity works in community and and isn't it kind of selfish and a a bit self-centered to think Jesus is all I need that's just so focused on you what about you for other people What about you being humble enough and meek enough to allow people in your life to love you? So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're set up in community. And when when Jesus, the incarnate God, He touches this physical, biological world with His physical, biological feet onto this earth, did He go about His spiritual life on His own? Didn't he ask a community to join him? Right? Didn't, didn't the disciples and Paul ask for prayers from brothers and sisters? Didn't they involve a community in their life? So don't be a lone ranger. Don't go on that boat by yourself. Jesus is in that boat. There's a community in that boat with you. There have been people here, and you've been on my heart, because I know that many of you are here that are sailing by yourself. You're out in the middle of the ocean by yourself. You're on this spiritual journey by yourself. Some of you claim that Jesus is in the boat with you and then it's just you and Jesus. But they went to wake him up. Not one guy. They, they interceded for each other. They went. They approached Jesus in that storm and you're trying to do all this stuff by yourself and that's not how we were created for you to do it all by yourself we were created to be in community let's pray Lord we thank you for the storms in our life that make us question where is your faith And we have to entertain that question every once in a while and not be complacent. And I ask God that you would bless each person here. Thank you for bringing them here this morning. Thank you for the worship that was provided to us. Thank you for all these different things, elements within our our service here, Lord, that point back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.